0: I'm William Jess Laird, this is Image Culture. On the show today is the artist Juan Antonio Alabares. Juan's highly interdisciplinary work resists traditional object-oriented art production. Instead, his work often manifests itself as video. He first studied art at Columbia University before moving to Germany to study at the Kunstakademie Dusseldorf under acclaimed conceptual photographer Christopher Williams. It was during this time that Juan began work on his film, Moleculos, a 10-minute CGI animation following a one-armed teddy bear who ruminates on family, loss, and our place in the world. If it sounds strange, it's because it is. But it was also one of my favorite works of the year, and I wasn't alone. Moleculos was recently acquired by the Whitney and is now on view at the museum through June 10. I encourage everyone to go see it. I got the chance to photograph Juan at his Brooklyn studio and you can see the portrait at williamjesslaird.com slash imageculture, as well as on Instagram at williamjesslaird. Here I am with Juan Antonio Alvarez. So Juan, thanks for being here. Thanks for having or me. Thanks for having me over, I should say. <laughs> yeah. Where did you
1: Where did you grow up? I have kind of a funny story. So I was born in Puerto Rico, and it was kind of circumstantial because my parents were just living there because of my mom's job. So I was conceived and born there at a certain point, you know, because of my parents' job, they, they moved to a few different places. So then no. after that, we moved to Mexico city where as a kid, I was there for like eight years and you lived then... in Mexico city for eight years. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. What years? Oh man. I think like 11 to whatever that is, three, four.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you, you like remember living there and everything. What yeah, yeah like? no, exactly. Um, I, I'm curious. I was just there a couple weeks oh, yeah. ago. And um, I had, or I guess a month ago now, and I had such a great time. Yeah,
1: it's an amazing city. Really cool. I have really fond memories of Mexico City. It's just like a really warm and exciting place. There's like an energy in, in Mexico City that is very special. You know, there's like an intensity there. My dad brought us to a lot of museums and there are some really beautiful museums there.
0: Mm where did you go? Do you remember like which ones you saw?
1: You know, one of the first ones that I remember going to see or like thinking that like, oh, this is, this is art. You know, this experience was seeing a James Turrell. Um, yeah. Where, where do
0: they have that show? I
1: can't remember. Interesting. I really can't remember. Maybe it's, maybe it even wasn't even in Mexico, but in my memory, it was in Mexico. (laughs) So you Um, saw a
0: James Turrell show. So I saw James Trell. This is like As in my kid. memory. Yeah. 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 yeah,
1: And I, and I do remember that being like, wow, you know, like this, this like, whoa, that's art kind of mm-hmm. feeling, you mm-hmm. know? Um, that's maybe one of the first ones. But my dad brought us, Would my dad was like, I kind of had an inverted household where my mom was the moneymaker mm-hmm. and she was working every day. And my dad was the one that stayed at home with us this was like their decision you know my dad was working in his own way but it just kind of made sense for for this you know it made sense for them mm-hmm. my dad is more of the creative side definitely my mom is like the business side <laughs> so my dad would you know we'd, we'd take us to museums or he he'd like you know give us things to read he he's definitely like a a source of the creativity. I think Well,
0: he's clearly a deep thinker. Yes, he definitely is. <laughs> and I know that from watching the film. Right. Which we can get into later. but mm-hmm. uh, So he was, he was the one who kind of encouraged you to, to pursue art. Um, yeah. I mean, I think he definitely like
1: created the spark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean the thing, I think he encouraged by always being just so supportive and mm-hmm. so, committed to the work and, Mm -hmm. you know, like, just, just like wanting to see what we were making, you know? Um,
0: you went to, you went to Columbia. Yeah. Yeah. How was that?
1: Columbia was a really overall, really important experience. Mm
0: -hmm. Were you making art at the time when you went in?
1: Yeah. So, so the, the, I was actually the, the big, like for me, the big decision was, should I go to art school or not? Mm -hmm. And, and I had for like the first year in school, I'd kind of like slack and I didn't really care. And I was kind of like rebelling, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I was just like, you know, like I don't want to get stuck like doing in like, you know, I actually do really care about school and I care about learning. So I really pulled my, my, myself together and I started really committing myself to, to academics. So then, but I always cared about art and I, mm-hmm. and I made it and I, and I, you know, I was, I, always went to shows I was always always coming to New York to see things Mm -hmm. and you know I was doing like after school programs like I did the Cooper Union high school program like sva programs were you, uh,
0: were you drawing mostly or like i'm trying to think what kind of, I, in what Cooper of mind was a lot in. of
1: drawing um i actually took the first ever high, like college class that i took as a was like a animation course ironically oh, it was a really? flash animation course wow. yeah <laughs> full circle really <laughs> um yeah i took a, a couple like took a photography course at sva i was really just like i wanted more i always wanted more i was like was just you know, the school was never enough and I wanted more extracurricular things. Mm-hmm. The big decision was, should I go to art school or should I continue pursuing academics? And I really wasn't sure. And so I thought that going to liberal arts school just gave you a little bit more time to decide. Yeah. And also I could pursue academics. So I actually started Columbia with philosophy as like my major, as like my, my said major.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I started with that. I mean, I, you know, I went pretty far into the, into the major, but by junior year, I definitely knew that I wanted to really pursue art.
0: Um, Did you like living in New York? Yeah. I love living in New York. I mean, it was just think, like. You're coming from New Jersey yeah. and you're interested in art and all of a yeah. sudden you're in. You're like in this yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, what I was mean it's always so
1: different to like yeah. visit a place and yeah. to actually be to like, to live here is always super different. And. The first year I lived in dorms and I hated it. And I was just like, "Oh God, I never <laughs> want to do this again." And, <laughs> what and, dorm uh, are you in? If we can. Geek, oh my God! You know, someone Columbia, else, someone else asked me this, and I forgot. You must remember. What is the one that is next to it? It's like mixed grades, and it's right. It's very close to John Jay, and it's close. Hartley Hall. Hartley.
0: That's the one I lived yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, that's the. It's
1: like mixed. Uh, yeah,
0: it's the it's the freshmen and the sophomores. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, was it Harley?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Harley. That sounds right. And I actually met one of my very best friends. She was, we went to high school together. My friend Emmy Noguchi, she was in, a, she was in the same building. But then we decided to move out to go and and like move into an apartment in Harlem. Yeah. we lived on 116th and Martin Luther King Boulevard. Oh yeah, cool. Um, and it was uh, three of us. And that really felt like the first, like really living in mm-hmm. New York, you know, at that point I started going out more and like, you know, going to galleries regularly, which read like led to meeting other people or whatever, mm-hmm. um, really like getting to know more of the art community, um, which I, you know, was just like loved to see how varied it was mm-hmm. and how, how much bigger it was than I thought it was. So you felt kind of at home there. Yeah. And so... I was just kind of like constantly downtown. So then I can't remember like the exact time, but basically I moved to Chinatown. And that really was like where I stayed there for like seven years, basically. Well and this was while you were still in school. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I was I was commuting to school from mm-hmm. Chinatown. That's when I really felt like I lived in New York, mm-hmm. you know, being downtown. Um yeah. yeah, I mean I still I still love New York. I think it's a really difficult place. But <laughs> <laughs> You're from here, right?
0: I'm from here, yeah, yeah. But but you know, I actually, yeah, I, I grew up in New York, but mm. uh, I kind of have a really similar experience to you in that mm. I, I, I went I went to school here t- to Columbia as well, and um, mm-hmm. and I lived in a dorm that first year, Yeah. It, and then I moved <laughs> and I lived I lived on um, I, I guess you call this more Morningside Heights than Harlem, but I lived on 125th and Claremont. Yeah, yeah. And i lived with a bunch of friends in this kind of wacky apartment and that was like my felt like the first time i was really like kind of on my own doing yeah. thing yeah and then i also moved downtown my a year after that and i was oh. i commuted for two years um going up to columbia mm-hmm. and i kind of remember even though i grew up here i sort of had the same feeling in that i felt like finally i kind of felt like i was actually living in new york yeah. like on my own or kind of could start to navigate the city in a different way. I don't know. It, you always you kind of see a city from afar growing up.
1: Yeah, it's like a whole other life. Yeah, yeah. If you, once you start living on your own. <laughs> Do you remember what
0: kind of work you were making? Like those last few years of of school, I'm were you working with college. John at that time?
1: John Miller. Yeah, I was studying with John. Also, kind of full circle, third year, I went to Goldsmiths on exchange. Oh, nice. And that really was a point where I, you know, I was, I was kind of painting then Mm -hmm. and then playing around in the studio in Goldsmiths, I started scanning the paintings Mm -hmm. and then I started photographing the paintings and then I started just using this kind of like digital interface or this translation of that, of the gesture. And that just led to, I, I was really, I wanted to explore photography more and, I was kind of doing these like trompe l'oeil things mm-hmm. and my, my final year at Columbia, I was basically like, it was just leading more and more to this, like working with something immaterial. It was like slowly, like getting there, mm-hmm. you know, like the work that I was starting to look at. I remember seeing like Seal Floyer's work mm-hmm. at that point and being really struck by how different it was to me and how strange it was, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> I think seeing, seeing also like some, I didn't really travel that much when I was in London. I really liked London when I was there, so I kind of stayed there the most, but just seeing certain exhibitions there, I think started expanding my idea of like what art was. And, Mm -hmm. and also like, I remember there was the Tino Seagal show, there was the relational aesthetic show at the Guggenheim and then there was also the Tino Segal show at the Guggenheim. And those were, were very influential to Mm -hmm. see those shows i was trying to i remember thinking in that final year about like immaterial and my final year like my final project or my thesis project was um basically it was the documentation of a performance that i did Mm -hmm. which was it was actually the it was with matt moravec (laughs) um so this was the first group show i was ever in and matt moravec was like, what are you working on? And I was like, you know, I'm kind of thinking about music right now, mm-hmm. About like, I'm like listening to these operas and, and I want, I'm like working with these operas, like, because they're all the, the aspects of an artwork, but just kind of abstracted into yeah. this experience. Yeah. Um. So he was like, that sounds great. Like, can you show me? And then he like asked me if I wanted to stage one of these things in uh, this group show that he was, that he curated at Martos Gallery, mm-hmm. which was a very different gallery then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the performance was a very good friend of mine, Natalie Galpern. She, um, I was, I like found out kind of unexpectedly that she was a trained opera singer. I told her, I was like, you know, I'm looking for a, an opera singer. And she was like, I'm an opera singer. And I was like, <laughs> Pretty convenient. Yeah. yeah. It was really like this. I, I remember it kind of just like happened. Yeah. Unexpectedly. I took, a, basically, a verse from Orfeo ed Euridice, Uri- Orpheus and Eurydice, by um, Handel, mm-hmm. and it was this part where Orpheus is going to look for Eurydice, and 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 he's like, "Why aren't you looking at me?" And she's just like, "Like, you know, please, please don't look at me, because if she, if 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 he looks at her, if they make eye contact in the in the play, she'll." gets stuck in the underworld where she she got tricked into going so it's this it's a really weird opera but basically it's that part isolated and in when i went to like look at the gallery there was something really funny that i thought was there was a a shower in the bathroom of the gallery and i was like oh i want to do my performance in here so it just made sense of like her singing in the shower of the gallery and i it turned out really beautiful i i think that that was very simple mm-hmm. and you know it was like basically a 30 minute uh performance and then and that was that was like my contribution to the show mm-hmm. <laughs> um but then so my thesis was like actually this restaging of it for video that i then projected in the in in the galleries. gallery the yeah. columbia yeah. gallery
0: yeah. changed or yeah wallock art Gallery. wallock yeah no 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 it wasn't at
1: wallock it was at um it was the one that was in the art building now i
0: can't remember it Leroy Neiman. Leroy Gower. Neiman. <laughs> yes. gallery. Yeah. How can we forget Leroy Neiman? Mm-hmm. I guess you're thinking about kind of immaterial art, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. mentioned relational aesthetics. Yeah. And then when you, when you left school, mm-hmm. how did that develop? What kind of things were you doing? So right
1: when I finished school, you know, I had this, this, this work. Yeah. Um, Someone who saw it was actually Greg Fong. Isn't, you know, an artist and, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, and he was one of the members of K Hole. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he w- he K-Hole didn't exist and he was he was actually was like he was he lived in the same building as me, and I, we we got along really well, and I feel like we saw things really similarly. But he saw that work, and he was like, "You have to meet Eve Essex. Like, I think you guys would really get along." And Eve and I kind of immediately hit it off, mm-hmm. and we were, I was, I think we were just talking and I was like, we should, you know, we should work on something. We should try something like, and so this first project was basically like, Eve had this music background. Um, she went to RISD and she also studied at Brown. Like she did the kind of joint one, but yeah. she had this music background and I was super interested in music because it was this like abstraction and this type of like, you know, um, it felt like kind of like a weird
0: thing to me, but I was, but you said it had the, all the aspects of a work of art yeah, or less yeah, opera yeah. but it has the aspects yeah. of a work of art, but drawn out and abstracted. Yeah, exactly. And less tangible. I mean, yeah. 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 And I
1: was, I really was, I was, it was this kind More of like experience side of me that I was like, I, I was trying to be like, you know, not about the object. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that was really my struggle was the struggle was with like objects. I was trying to like disappear from the object yeah. to like get away from the object. So, I wanted to you know this there was certain like a filmic aspect that I always was interested in and you know the the opera was kind of this idea of like a score or something Mm -hmm. for you know but like dissected or uh, um, isolated and put into a space you know so I was thinking about Foley sounds about how kind of ridiculous the objects to make realistic sounds are you know I don't know like Foley artists they take like a piece of lettuce and you know <laughs> like a coconut and that sounds like horses running you yeah, know like sure. it's it's insane it's really like absurd yeah it's like, like the, the monty python thing exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah so i was really into that and i was really into these kind of ridiculous pairings of objects that made something realistic mm-hmm. and so we because we, the re-
0: the realistic
1: thing doesn't sound like itself. yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah. the realistic thing is too far from from our, our understanding of it as a yeah. sound i talked to eve about this and i was like i love these kind of things like maybe we could try to like score something like this Mm -hmm. and it was a really great exchange and we basically made this eve is super organized and she's a very like ordered person and i she brings that out of that energy out of me too Mm -hmm. so we'd get to these like really high complexity places where basically i it was like what if we try to like make a chaos like the, the the cacophony of 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 like foley sounds but that it is like highly constructed you mm-hmm. know and so we just started like you know she knew how to work with a group i was always like working with one person but eve has this really amazing way of knowing how to like mobilize people mm-hmm. so we that was the first project that we did which was again at essentially it was at shoot the lobster but shoot the lobster was the same space as martos then mm-hmm. So we did that, this like performance, um, it's called the end light blue. And that was our first collaboration and it felt really good. Mm-hmm. And there was kind of like some, a response to it. And it felt like we, we just had similar interests. We both like Fluxus work. We, you know, like we, we just had like a similar interest and we, we kept working together. And at a certain point we even shared a studio and, you know, we made two more pieces after that we were really experimenting i've always cared about experimenting you know we never formally stopped our collaboration it just has been some time i still think about how like I, I think i just haven't had my my head in there yeah but all the while even though we were collaborating i still tried to make my own work because i mean the thing is i think that for for a while i was maybe fighting the ego of an artist or something like that and i felt like it was very egotistical to work by yourself but then and to um, make objects yeah and to make (laughs) objects yeah but then you know those are rules that you make in your head and 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 even i started breaking them i'm still i'm still definitely open to to doing more collaborations i've just i i have kind of receded into myself a lot too mm-hmm. you know
0: it doesn't seem like much of a coincidence to me that your next major work would be molas, right, yeah, yeah, I mean,
1: so Kokomo loss was the 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 first step towards that, you know, I was really trying to so so the story with Kokomo loss is kind of funny, so I got a residency um on Pirate Island mm-hmm. um in like the summer of 2014 And it was like a two week long residency and I planned to shoot this video and I kind of had these ideas of these like personages for these like film archetypes to be on this island. I tried to re-envision for myself, Fire Island as this type of like uh, like deserted island. Mm -hmm. And there's a protected area called like the meat rack, but it's like just dunes and very beautiful trees. But it's like just super peaceful there and there's kind of a really crazy history there but there's no electricity you know like it's it's just a really serene place so i i thought like well no one's ever there and that'll like i can get like isolation it's so hard to get that in new york yeah you know i was also like in a real cave of watching lost at that point <laughs> I was like five years late to the show not even more I think That's like so just funny. so late to the show yeah like maybe ten years late to it the probably show. makes it better
0: because then it's not a group experience exactly. it's your experience but <laughs> I
1: I don't know how I started watching it I don't remember how I started watching it but I for three months because it's 24 episodes an hour each for three months was watching that every day and I was really deeply in it and I get kind of obsessed in these ways and, you know, I was, I was... It's a very
0: immaterial show, Yeah, we also, should say. Yeah, yeah. It's not about what's there. It's no, everything about what's exactly. not there.
1: Exactly. It's like everything other than there. And it's a very spiritual show. It's an amazing uh, experience. Oh, it's That's, great. Yeah, it's a yeah. really incredible show. Um, I, you know, all the people that have worked on that show, I think, are really amazing mm-hmm. storytellers. Um, the first two seasons, I, I wish I could feel that again. You know, um, it was such a beautiful, you know, I, I almost wish that I could have seen it every week because the time was so weird then, Mm -hmm. you know, it was like post nine 11 and how, you know, how weird the world felt then and how unsure we were of, of the future. Mm -hmm. I think that show was doing an amazing job of mirroring that it's like, yeah, the world
0: is really fucking weird. And like, it seems like it was probably kind of one of the last one of those last kind of marquee dramas before streaming culture right also definitely. you yeah, know yeah. so it kind yeah. of had that that yeah. weird um... the group like watching it yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it's so, like I, collective yeah. I think of it as like the end of an era or the beginning of a new one in a, yeah, in a sense you definitely know? but sorry let's go back to yeah. to your film so yeah so, so, also set on, on a deserted island so I was I liked the idea of a deserted island
1: but also in the kind of like Brechtian sense of you know this like clean slate yeah and to focus on 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 like the inner and and the what would happen if you were i I was feeling trapped in new york Mm -hmm. i really was and i liked this idea of escape and i like what i liked about loss was that they were just they ended up there and they had to survive afterwards and that idea was seemed just really attracted me and I thought that like what I was trying to follow was like what would happen if you were really there by yourself or like in this kind of isolation so I shot this this video and I made an edit that was I had this idea to kind of do a screening in the sand dunes where it was shot where you'd have to walk like 30 minutes into it it was sunset happening because the the residency was kind of a focus on time based media. So I wanted to have the, the screening of it be like kind of the participatory um, aspect of, of the of the project. And I mean, I think two weeks now, it's definitely way too fast for me to make a work. And it definitely felt, you know, it was, it was a residency and you never know what's going to happen with that kind of work. But I had the footage and ironically what happened was that I had a dedicated hard drive to that work. And I lost that hard drive. Like physically S- lost Physically it? lost that hard drive. And I, so I have like these like these um, low res versions of the original three videos. It was a three channel video mm-hmm. of TVs installed in the beach. And I lost them and I was kind of like, you know what, this is kind of amazing. It's ephemeral and, and it's gone now. And the people that saw it, maybe had an experience of it but now it's gone the whole project was about being lost and about being a castaway and i was like kind of this is kind of perfect yeah that it, it works. works so then about like a year later alex ross from hester gallery then contacted me and was like i'd like to include kokomo aside uh, in this group show that i'm curating and um you know i i i couldn't see it but i would really like to see it and I'm, I'm just i think it fits perfectly in this idea and i'll show you the other works whatever and i was like you know i'm so like this is so awesome that you would want to show this but it doesn't exist anymore like i i don't know what to do like i don't it doesn't exist you yeah. know and he was like well you know I, I told him i was just like i just have these low-res versions that like just don't i was like i wouldn't want to show them mm-hmm. But I had the footage. I did have all the footage. That's yeah. the thing. I had all the, the, the footage on from the camera that I recorded on. Like, I had all the, the discs. So um, I just didn't have the edit files and, you know, the final effects or whatever. You know, he was like, well, is it possible? Basically, he was like, I really want to show this. Like, and I want to make this possible. Can you, like, tell me? And also, the idea was originally, like, that it was going to be shown on a beach. You know, that was, that was part of the, the, that was a big aspect of the work. The yeah. site specificity of it. So what I thought then, at this point, I was already in Dusseldorf, and I was like, you know, what I can do is that I wasn't really happy with those edits. I'm gonna, I, it's, I've had some distance from that material, and I'm gonna re-edit it now. And and I told him like, you know, I re, I'll make basically a new work using yeah. this work, recut it, yeah. And that really was the first time where I started thinking about, because basically it was this, there was these dialogues that the, the characters were, were performing, mm-hmm. but I didn't work with the actors long enough to get there, to get to a good place. And I was, I, it, I didn't like how the footage looked.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I started looking at all of the footage again, and there was, I was, I was I basically just kept the camera on for like three days straight. And I had all this footage of walking through these forests, through this these sand dunes. And these deer that live on the island, which are really strange that they love to be looked at. And um, I just had a lot more that I didn't think about. And so I started trying to reimagine the footage again as if I'd never seen it before. And I wanted to let go of the scripts that I had in my head, but to still keep this idea of the castaway. And around this time, I read this essay by peter vessel Zapfa. it's from late 30s the text and it it's called the last messiah and it's one of the darkest things that i've ever read it's really pessimistic text six pages long i had to read it several times because it was just so heavy that like i couldn't comprehend how heavy it was Mm -hmm. and then once i did i was really just like Oh my God, Wow. Like he's really saying that. Um, like he he really does not believe in in like any kind of real importance to humanity. Like it's a it's a total like for basically, the essay argues that human consciousness is an aberration of nature, and that we shouldn't have gotten this far. and that it leads us to having all of these problems. That like you don't see animals with these kind of issues. That's like his argument is that animals just are in balance with nature, but we're the ones that are out of balance. And what distinguishes us from them is our consciousness. It's a pretty dark,
0: it just like very it really genuinely pessimistic. Oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. He basically towards the end of it. The reason why it's called the Last Messiah. It starts off with this like hunter gatherer. The story starts off with this like hunter gatherer and he when he's about to shoot an animal he makes eye contact with the animal and sees that we have the same existence Mm -hmm. and for that split moment realizes that it's completely pointless this this like pursuit that the hunter-gatherer like that's what his life is the purpose of his life is to get things to provide to survive But when he realizes that it doesn't matter if he survives or not, just like this animal is going to die, it doesn't matter whether it lives or not. In the kind of way that he tells it, you then see that instead of killing the animal, the hunter-gatherer kills himself. Hmm. And the thesis of the article is basically calls for, you know, he's saying that we're the problem. And the only thing that would solve the problem is to get rid of us. Hmm. So it really is like a very extremely dark text. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I read it and it really shocked me just because there, there's such a logic to the whole essay, to the whole argument. But one of the things that I ultimately like really disagreed with was that I thought that love was something really beautiful and very real. You know, human emotions create a bond between people, and that's extremely real. And that's not meaningless. You know, like, we make meaning to the world. I do think that, like, in a kind of godless world, you can feel this type of existential emptiness. But I think that we make meaning to the world. And that gave me, like, hope. You know, that gave me—that that was how I saw the world— that made it just gave it like some light you know i wanted to try to apply that Kokomo lost there's a a new voice inserted which is this um subtitle that goes throughout the entire video mm. and that one i wrote and i wanted it to be like i basically was trying to imagine a person who has been a castaway where maybe their existence is really questioned like if you have no one like suddenly you begin to question everything but that love is this one continuing factor
0: so you basically within this original work yeah you you basically create the grounds uh for for someone's life based on this text yeah and then ultimately reject that text.
1: This relates to the first question that you asked me. I feel like I'm going on like a huge tangent, okay. but what this related to of like what you said about getting personal. I yeah. like that it made sense to... Absolutely. What I was thinking was like, what do I really care about? Uh-huh. And what can art really do for someone? I don't think that art has to have a function at all. I don't think that art needs to be anything But what I do think about is like, why make these things? Um, So from the question of like, why make objects? Why make, you know, a physical thing? I think I started going even more steps of like, why make anything? Mm -hmm. Um, What is the point of leaving these things behind? And that's what brought me, I think that's maybe, I, I think even like the collaboration helped lead to that question. But definitely, I started asking myself, why make these things? Why are we doing this? Why am I doing this? And from there was where it felt like I started. You know, I really felt like I started at zero again.
0: That's square one.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, Moleculas definitely feels related because I was still in that deep place of questioning and I still am in that deep place of questioning, you right.
0: know? You should always be in that place, yeah. right? I yeah. Mean, it's yeah, kind of yeah. what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I think I I function there. Mm-hmm. Some people might never make anything from that place, but I think that we are in pretty intense times, yeah. you know? And I don't think that it's particularly, how do I say this? It's like... I think we like to imagine that our time is like really bad in comparison to the past, but I think it's always been really bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, Probably always been worse. Yeah. I think yeah. it's it, there's, there's many great advances that have happened in like the last 10 years. There's a lot of great like social things that have happened. There's like a, political awakening all of these things are great you know and and yet we want to feel this kind of like pessimism and and and, uh you know this uh like fear of the apocalypse and of climate change is going to ruin our lives and they're all very real worries but i i just think that this these have been around for a long time it's Mm -hmm. not they're they're not necessarily new it's just they do feel more dire now but i try to think about what do i want to put out into this atmosphere Mm -hmm. you know and that was definitely so it wasn't i wasn't thinking about making personal work i was trying to really question why am i making things and what is the most honest expression that i can
0: make that for me was it led to these to these works well you you did a monologue for this first work too Mm -hmm. But I know that the narrative that runs through Molecules, the monologue that runs through it comes from your father. Yeah. And I know that came from a, from when he visited you in in Düsseldorf, right? Yeah. Yeah. When did you first go and and what was that what was yeah. that experience like? I think
1: going to Düsseldorf at the point of where I was like in my adulthood felt like a big risk in a way, yeah. you know. Did you want to leave New York too? I wanted to get out of New York, but basically it just all kind of pointed that way and and i went with impulse and i met christopher williams who i studied with there and it just felt right i think i was taking life a little bit too seriously and christopher just talking with him for like five minutes made me realize that because i think that new york can kind of do that to you mm-hmm. i Went to Dusseldorf, and suddenly I didn't know anyone. I, you know, I came from having such a like life here to not really knowing anyone, not speaking the language, being alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I was living by myself, and it was kind of shocking in a way. One of the things that did happen from being there, I mean, Dusseldorf is this kind of like rainy. Uh, kind of bleak place you know it's (laughs) It's like german like german city yeah yeah. it's not like the prettiest city like cologne is really pretty dusseldorf is not so much Uh you know Um, but there's a charm to dusseldorf that i still miss um i i love that city um and i loved being there for two years basically i think that in new york you kind of run away from your problems Mm -hmm. i think it's like this thing that we all do you know just staying busy you kind of can't focus on your problems and suddenly there i felt these problems that were probably there for like years i suddenly had no distractions i was just like i didn't really have even that many friends to to be able to just like distract myself so in the spring where it was supposed to be nice and it was like literally three months of cloudiness like not even rain it was just cloudy like no direct sunlight for three months like i'm not joking at all um (laughs) I got pretty depressed, yeah and I was starting to work on like basically, I was curious about animation and there was an animation class in Dusseldorf, but it wasn't it wasn't really learning the program. it was more talking about animation. but that's where I got my first copy of Cinema 4D. and I just had suddenly like a lot of time, not any distractions really. so I just like jumped in the deep end. And I started watching online tutorials and there's like a huge community of them. And I just started practicing. And so basically you start learning the language more around that point.
0: The language um, C- of CGI, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. CGI.
1: Um, I was asked to be in the show by Marie Karlberg and Lena Henke. They do these great shows together called ML Art Space, which I loved because they are super experimental and they were happening in New York, which like I felt like just didn't happen. But they were doing one in Venice. And on my way to the Kunst Academy every day, there was a, a 3D print store um, where they make like these scaled you know, 3D scans and then 3D prints of people. Yeah. Um, you know, they're like, they're around here too. Yeah.
0: Like a little novelty. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I was always walking past and I always thought it was so weird. I just Mm -hmm. thought they were like so ridiculous and like kind of narcissistic to get these things. And I was like, why does not anyone change their body? Like when, you know, it's so like, why can't you just like, like I would want to like change my body instead of this one-to-one, if you're making this like kind of figurine looking thing merchandise looking thing like why wouldn't you make yourself into like a character or something you know so i was thinking about that and when marie and lena asked me to be part of the show i was like oh my god i have this idea for a work that i think would be perfect for you, for that space and i kind of told them that i think they didn't really get it
2: mm-hmm.
1: but i was like i want to make myself into this kind of character you know i'm going to alter my body in digital space and then get it 3d printed to scale and they were like okay yeah whatever so why i I was thinking about how i wanted to alter the body and i wanted i there was this there's a lot of like really beautiful teddy bears in in (laughs) germany um they're really, yeah. there's, there's, there's these, these stiff bears that are super beautiful. And I was just like one day like walking and I just saw a store of them and I was like, wow, they're just so beautifully made. There was like a store dedicated to them. And I yeah. was just like, and not in this kind of kitschy way. Like it was just like, it felt more simple. Yeah. And later on, I found out that teddy bears were invented in Dortmund, which was just literally 30 minutes north of Dusseldorf. Mm-hmm. So you're, um, at the, you're at the you home yeah, of the yeah, teddy bear. Yeah, it was bear. like the source of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the original so source. So I got, I started just like buying these teddy bears. <laughs> I just started like, and like, like just like these, you know, I was kind of being impulsive. I didn't have anything to do really. And it was just mm-hmm. like, I was buying them and I was like, maybe I'll work with them somehow, you know? And then I thought, what if I, there is the same scale as the, as like the, the 3D printed figure. Yeah, And I was like, what if I just like replaced a limb of mine with like a teddy bear, you know? And then I was thinking about these, like, efficient aerodynamic limbs that people can get from, from. usually it's like a prosthetic, mm-hmm. but, you know, there's like these kind of blades, like, like sartorius. That you, that like you run ran, with. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Course, yeah. That make you, like, faster than a human, yeah. like, where human design has just, like, become better than nature. Mm-hmm. And I was really, I was looking at a lot of images of them and I was... it it, it super intrigued to me but I read this one article then that really like rocked my view of the world or what I've thought of like the future which was this I'm now forgetting his name but basically he was this billionaire who became a woman simply because he could Mm mm-hmm and I love that idea of body modification as like, I think that in the future we can kind of become, I think that we'll be able to do these kind of things. Yeah. Um, like this customization of the body, like the body is just going to be like a, you know, a, you're born with one, but then like how you customize it is really like, Yeah. you know, I think that I can see that happening because... We well, Are we're so expressive, you it know? already kind of
0: does happen. yeah right? I mean, it in does happen like from, from plastic, plastic surgery and,
1: yeah. or you know, a lot of cosplay things. the like,
0: impulse is definitely there. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: I think some people feel more themselves in another body or something like mm-hmm. that. So I made this figurine. It was just an experiment. It really was. I suddenly had these like visions of the bear talking, mm-hmm. and the bear being this kind of existential, sad bear. And so I started writing a script for it. And I thought like, well, I'm learning this animation. Like, maybe I can try it. Like, maybe this is just going to try to do it, you know? And it felt insane to me to to go that way. But I was just kind of, you know, I was going like, I just was like, let me try it, you know? I mean, of course I had seen Ted, you know, it it didn't feel like anything particularly new in a way. But it was just like, it it felt like the subject was calling for me, you know? And I was following it. And I was maybe like three months into working on the, on the bear mm-hmm. and I was, you know, I was kind of working on a script for it and starting to work on the, the, the model was kind of there and, and the hair, I was working on the hair and I was getting, figuring out how to like move it, you know, and to, to make a, a spline, uh skeleton for it and like how to rig the bear I was learning and watching tutorials or whatever. Yeah. My parents were coming to visit me and. I just started seeing these parallels between my dad's life and mine, where he moved to the States when he was about 28. And I was in this new country at 28. And I just was feeling this kind of really intense gloom in the world. And I was just trying to like, I, I, I needed a, some perspective. Because, you know, my dad had to leave Chile because of the military coup that happened in 1973 that to me feels like a really dangerous and real dark time you know where the government can can make you disappear you know yeah. that is such a real danger in comparison to these kind of abstract fears that we have now yeah. you know even though i do think that for many people the government can do something uh real and dangerous to them like all the deportations that are happening now you know it, there are there is real danger but I just wanted to talk to him about like the parallels between our life. And I really wanted to ask him if he felt like the world was better when he was my age or if it's better now, I really wanted to like, just have that conversation. I needed to have that with him and we started talking and it just got to like, it was just us two talking in my apartment and it got, really serious and it got in a way where i didn't or i didn't i didn't expect it to go so i asked him if if he'd mind if i recorded it and i put um my you know i made like a voice note on my phone yeah i put it between us Mm -hmm. and we just started talking and it ended up being this like three-hour conversation and he told me the story that about his mother that I didn't know and it was super moving for me, but I just wanted to record it then because I, i was feeling like this was such a unique moment for us and I wanted to have it, you know, then a few weeks later, while I was working on the bear kind of like hit me late night, I was just like, Oh my God, what if that was the voice of the bear? And it made me like really uncomfortable at first because I was like, oh my God, that's such a crazy idea. Like it's such a personal story that he told me and like putting it into this could be, I don't know, like kind of maybe disrespectful or something, but mm-hmm. I talked to him about it and he kind of was like, yeah, that seems great. Um, <laughs> and I started working with the, the audio and I, that then became a big part of the process how do I work with this material? I've never, I've actually never worked with such personal material before, mm-hmm. um, like such in such close proximity. I feel like I have made personal work, you know, yeah. that, that self-portrait that I was telling you of, that's a pretty personal work, Yeah, but it, it, it this, this felt like this almost, uh, a very different kind of complexity of mm-hmm. proximity to your inner world that's where it came from or that's like how kind of, that's kind of like how it happened.
0: And then I suppose you're doing something similar to what you did before and that you have this material, mm-hmm. this conversation with your father and you have to find a narrative within that.
1: That was really important. And, you know, I remember showing Christopher Williams, the, the kind of early version, Yeah, this like just showing him this conversation think? and he, remember he suggested something that i definitely took into account which was like there's a texture to your dad's voice and i think that you need to become part of that texture i i didn't really know what he meant by that you know yeah but i started listening to it over and over the te- the this like conversation and i began to distance myself but also to understand it mm-hmm. differently and I think that through distancing myself, I could begin to see a real core to that story or to, to, to what could be a story. You mm-hmm. know, I didn't want to be like too precious about the material. So I started making decisions to try to change it, to like alter it. So I cut myself out of the text. I thought that was an important, you know, it wasn't a conversation anymore. It became more of this like monologue. Yeah. Um, or this confession that it becomes, you know, and I removed any personal name or place or date. There's only one specific date, which is he says something like it was 1978 or 1979, but it's like in memory. Mm-hmm. So I've always wanted time to be a bit of an obscure place in this video. Yeah. Um. So I think that it's a very synthetic document that's what I think what's kind of ironic about this is like it's 10 minutes it's two and, and you know most of it is cut out but and I take parts from all over the part of the conversation you know there's parts of the end of the conversation and the beginning and there's parts of the beginning and the end and you know it's really super mixed yeah but I felt like I was trying to get to the most honest place of that story I do think that trying to depersonalize the work would open it up and there was also this point where I really I was like I don't want this to be about a conversation that I had with my dad I want this to be that anyone could relate to I want this to be a story that isn't just about me because that I don't care about me I don't care about you know, that's, that's not what I'm trying to to say is like my importance in this world, like me, you know, yeah. that's really not what I was trying to say or our conversation or our, um, you know, I, I'm, in fact, to be honest, I have like a huge problem with a lot of deeply personal family related work, artwork, you know, I think that it rests on um, sentimentality and that's nothing I've ever been interested in, you know, but I just, I, I started looking at the, the, the narration as like a character. And one of the things that my dad told me when he finally saw the video, Mm -hmm. he said, it's amazing because it's no longer me. And I thought that that was such a, that felt so good to hear because it was in this way, it was just like, we had gone through... so I felt like we had gone through so much together, but also I had pushed the material far enough that it became something else. And that's always what I'm trying to do.
0: One of the interesting things about animation is that it's mm. completely constructed. Yeah. And that's true of every animation, but mm. especially yours. I mean, it took you two years to make this film, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a 10-minute film, and it took you two years. And every mm. frame feels just... I mean, it's a really... Beautifully composed film. It kind of takes place in what I describe as like a modernist therapist's office, yeah. or or even like an apartment, like a modernist apartment. Where where did those influences come in? I was working on it. And it was originally like in in the animation space. You do have to put everything. Like you
1: have to you have to um everything is in 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 the animation space is is a decision. There's nothing for granted. Nothing accidental. Know? Yeah. There's nothing accidental. You start from zero. You know originally it was this teddy bear that was the the chair I, I I knew he want I wanted him to be in this kind of therapy setting mm-hmm. it felt like I was trying to reimagine that text as like a therapist's angle you know yeah. that's also one of the angles that I looked at the the narration differently it was originally in this kind of black space almost like theater like like black box theater but it was floating too much and i was really just like this isn't anywhere does that help the story so the chair that i that i used in the model in for for the that the teddy bear was sitting on was this corbusier lc Fourchez. Mm-hmm. and the thing about it was i just felt like it was such a not functional chair um <laughs> that it like it's so conducive to the, that you're kind of like stuck in it and you just like could expound like you know your body is is just like it's there it's ergonomic to the body but also i i thought that it could be a place where you're like your mind could really wander in that mm-hmm. chair you know it's like you not it's not a chair where you're talking like to someone else yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure like who who it's a it's a you know it's a, almost like a chaise long but it's but it's not you know it's this kind of like peaceful recollection chair so then i was like well where does this chair exist where did it exist And I followed it a bit more and I found that Corbusier used these chairs in some of the original modular housing that he built. And then that led me to this one building, the Lunité d'Habitation in Marseille, which is now a hotel, but there are still some apartments, but it started as apartments. And I started researching this hotel and the thing that I loved about it was that there was, when, when it was built, it was very new, this kind of like apartment block and everyone having the same size apartment like that. Yeah, They kind of hated it. They hated it. Like Marseille hated the building. Uh, the, the people hated the building. And there was these studies published about how living in that kind of house would cause insanity. <laughs> and uh, it's really funny. And uh, there was like a fear of it. You know, mm-hmm. there's a fear of modernity. But that's such a, you know, that's like a staple of good taste at this point. And I thought that locating the story there, who would go to therapy somewhere like that? But I also liked that it, it, to me, it felt like this kind of, this end place, this like place of retirement or something like that. Whether, whether just like, you know, in terms of like a break or, or, or a vacation or something like that. But I liked it being there and I liked that it was, it it also it feels like a time period that that space mm-hmm. feels like high modernism but for that to be happening now would kind of shift the time a bit more and for it to be animated makes that feel weird you know so um that was how i ended up in that space and then the next scene where there's like you go to a bathroom that begins to get flooded That was actually the recreation of the bathroom of where that story is happening, like where, where he says that he, he was, my dad was living at that point. Mm -hmm. I asked him to just describe the bathroom as detailed as possible. We had like, we would talk like, you know, I'd be like, what kind of the tiles, what kind of, then I constructed that from his memory of like how I imagined his memory. And I wanted it to feel like New York, but but just to be like the slightest implication of like New York. Well that tile yeah. the subway tile, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Like that, that kind of that kind of space would maybe only exist in New York. Um it's but it's you know, it's a real subtle detail. And I don't think it's obvious when you're watching it. It kind of just seems like a bathroom, you know. <laughs> the spaces were important to me because they started feeling like they needed to be grounded in some type of reality, but the simulation of that reality Mm -hmm. made it even more uncanny for me. You know, like if it was just in this kind of black box, it would look like animation, but when it was trying to simulate reality, that pushed the animation to a a different place for me Mm -hmm. and that I was a lot happier with.
0: It's funny. Like I think animation has that quality where, the more outlandish it is the easier it is to accept yes you know what i mean whereas if it gets too close you start entering that kind of uncanny valley territory and it starts to feel very like weird yes exactly i think um what's amazing about animation is that
1: anything is impossible in those spaces yeah and you can do anything Mm -hmm. and that kind of infinity of possibility is uh, like it's overwhelming sometimes do you like animation that's being made now? Or are you are you a fan? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, like I think watching Up for me was really important because mm-hmm. like that movie in the first, you know, there's the it kind of starts with this like movie in a movie. Yeah, you've seen the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like crying so hard. <laughs> yeah. so sad. Yeah, the first, but and I was just like, how did they get me? Like, how did they? how did that happen I I don't even have any attachment to these characters like it's 10 minutes and, and I'm like sobbing right now and I thought that that was interesting because I mean I think Pixar they're master emotional manipulators they're so amazing at that but it always feels meaningful definitely I think maybe sometimes it's just like for the sake of having an emotional reaction but I thought that there was something specific about it being animation. If that had been like a video of two people, I don't think I would have really connected to that. Yeah. But these animated characters or this, this simulated 3d world, this hyper reality is easier for us to project onto. Mm-hmm. And I thought there was something very curious about animation. So yeah, I really, I, I love animation also like Ed Atkins work, I think is really amazing, you know? Um, I think Helen Martin deals with animation in a really intelligent way too. And Jordan Wilson, you know, I mean, this is, I never, I never felt like I was doing something new. You know, I did feel like I was just entering an arena in a way, you know, or like a a medium. And, and I was curious about it and I thought like, why not work with it? Maybe, but also the other thing that is really super true about this work, this was never for anything. It was never for a show. I was just experimenting. Mm -hmm. I didn't think that it was going to be shown i thought that no one would want to show it i thought that i would never finish it it felt like i was never going to finish it with how slow it was moving like it was never for anything and i think that that's i hope that i can reach that place again of yeah. like not like because it felt so pure in a way you know it felt so like away from trying to angle it or whatever it was just developing in its own way It's honest yeah, I try. I was trying to be, you know. I was
0: trying for it to be. So, what was the experience like of finishing this film, uh-huh. coming back to New York, uh-huh. and then obviously, I mean, obviously it has it has uh, been shown. Yeah, it was acquired by the Whitney, and you have a solo show at the Whitney now. Yeah, but what was that? What was that experience like? I mean, coming back. Um,
1: I think I've receded way more into myself than I ever have been before.
2: Hmm.
1: You know, I think New York is a place where it's conducive to people that are kind of extroverted and big characters, whatever. And not that I'm not social, but like, I have just kind of turned inside of myself more. And I I was super nervous the first time that it was going to be like the, just for for when I showed it at Matt's, I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, the response is so unexpected and that's it's still amazing it still feels like a dream i like it still doesn't really feel real that it's now at the whitney you know when i knew that it was going to happen i was really just like i this is crazy that this is happening because i just didn't expect that it Mm -hmm. just really you know it wasn't something that i was working towards it was just it really feels like not real in a lot of ways but then the next thing that I started, the way that I started thinking about really with the show at the Whitney was what can this work in this context? How can it behave differently? I remember being nervous about making a work in Spanish because I thought that it would limit the audience so much. And then for that work to be exhibited at the Whitney, where it has this history of, of being like, you know, for the american public like artworks of the american for the american public i really was like this is you know i remember going to shows at the whitney when i was young and you know i was just trying to imagine like what it would feel like for these for someone to that was that was like you know a teenager to see this in this space you know like what 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 is i was trying to imagine what that would feel like and was so exciting about it being at the whitney was that a lot of non art people are going to see it now, you yeah. know? And yeah. cause I think that at Matt's it was, you know, mostly like art people that, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a self uh, determined audience. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think it's not, you know, it's not like a public space. So I think coming back at that point and then also it coinciding with this country electing Trump and so many people's wild fears coming true and you know this kind of really dark overcast that felt like was happening i was actually very happy to be here in new york at that point because i thought i would be so it would almost feel like cowardly of me to not be here at this point like if i was just like to run away to to berlin and you know live my life in berlin for the next four years like away from from this reality not that it's i I think that i don't think it's cowardly for any for me it just felt like i want to see where this is going and i want to you know what's so amazing about new york is that there's a community here of people that purposefully like don't want to be like the rest of the world and i'm i know i'm part of that yeah and i want to be a support for people there has it been have you start have you thought about what you want to do next i was kind of really unsure of what i wanted to make after this it's like oh my god you know i didn't ever think i was going to finish and then it was just like oh my god like what am i what am i ever going to make again i have a lot of ideas right now that don't make sense to me and i'm excited to be in that mess again one
0: thank you so much thank you I'd like to thank Juan Antonio Olivares, John Miller, the Columbia University and Barnard College Art Departments, and the entire team at the Whitney Museum, especially to Jane Panetta and Allie Tepper. Our show is produced by Sarah Levine, and our music is by Jack and Eliza. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week.